51, paragraph 7, I now give a solemn charge to you. In the Lord's wisdom and providence, uh, as we make our way through the book of Acts, he has scheduled today uh, for us to cover a text that perfectly suits the moment. And so I'm going to read our passage, which is Acts 21, verses 17 through 36. Pray for us, and then there will be an abbreviated sermon to Caleb that you're welcome to listen in on. And then there will be a charge to our commission from uh, good Caleb in a second. All right, this is the word of the Lord. Acts 21, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ from Acts 21. When we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. After greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified God, and they said to him, You see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed. They are all zealous for the law, and they have been told about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Do therefore what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take these men and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. Thus all will know that there is nothing in what they have been told about you but that you yourself also live in observance of the law. But as for the Gentiles who have believed, we have sent a, letter, sent a letter with our judgment that they should abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. And then Paul took them in, and the next day he purified himself along with them and went into the temple, giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled and the offering presented for each one of them. When the seven days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and against the law and this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, with him in the city, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Then all the city was stirred up, and the people ran together. They seized Paul, and they dragged him out of the temple, and at once the gates were shut. And as they were seeking to kill him, word came to the tribune of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. He at once took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Then the tribune came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. He inquired who he was and what he had done. Some in the crowd were shouting one thing, some another, and as he could not learn the facts because of the uproar, he ordered them to be brought into the barracks. And when he had come to the steps, he was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd. For the mob of the people followed, crying out, Away with him. Away with him. The first thing to, of, of note in our passage 
is that Paul and his traveling companions finally reach their destination, Jerusalem, and they're received gladly by the elders, where they take turns bragging about God's good work and celebrating what God had done through one another's ministries. Faithful Christian ministry, whether by a professional, as you are now, Caleb, or by an amateur, as most of us are, Faithful Christian ministry is always show and tell. It's always show the grace of God in your life and then tell people the grand epic of God rescuing the world through Christ. Show it and tell it. Because we can't get enough of hearing how lavishly and fully God loves us in the redemption he provides. Caleb, I need to hear from you the whole counsel of God as you preach Christ and him crucified. And I need you to joyfully, patiently, generously, and carefully apply that singular reality to my soul and my situation. The grand story of the good news has to intersect with my own story, or it actually ceases to be good news. I love the way the text includes this little phrase, one by one, is the way it describes Paul retelling the testimonies of God's grace. No character. No event was so small that it got left aside. One by one, he details the way God is at work calling people to himself. I think it's also important to note that this, in this story swapping, in Paul telling the, the Jewish elders and the, elder, uh, the Jewish elders telling uh, their own stories, it's the gospel that they're saying to one another. It's the gospel that they're receiving from one another. Because there's a mindset that says, we already believe the gospel. Go and preach it to someone who hasn't already heard it. But that mindset is not what we see here. Many of us at CPC, most of us in Hills and Plains, and many of your RUF students already believe and trust in Christ. But that doesn't mean that you get to stop telling us the gospel because that's all that we need. You tell it again and again, that great truth, and apply it again and again with great wisdom and tact, because our wandering hearts are so forgetful and scared. And so you go and tell the grand story, and then stop and tell the one-by-one stories as well. That's the first component to your charge this morning. Tell us the gospel, and help us learn to glorify God as it shapes and molds us, and then do it again and again. And then try to blend in. As a campus minister, you have to navigate a very different world on a day-to-day basis than most of us are forced to face. There are not just more nationalities represented in campus life than the population as a whole. There are far more competing worldviews and belief systems alive and active in a campus ministry. Looking different, feeling different, and thinking different And these differences can lead to conflict, and oftentimes that conflict turns very loud and competing and sometimes even violent. Paul has shared his stories of Gentile conversions from his worldwide journeys. And then the Jewish leaders share about their many gospel success stories in Jerusalem and Judea as well. Many thousands of Jews had also come to believe in Christ as the promised Messiah, But the text is careful to point out that they also remained zealous for the law, verse 20. And the rumors 
They were hearing and passing on, even though they were totally false. The, the rumors they'd heard of Paul began to dictate their attitude toward him and toward his ministry. In a campus ministry like RUF, in a place like the University of Tulsa, you'll have many different students from many different denominations. You'll have Baptist students and charismatic students. You'll have Presbyterian students, hopefully. You might have some Catholic students as well. In fact, you might have students that aren't yet Christians, that come as skeptics because they feel embraced. We hope so anyway. And the fact that you're going to the people in that place means that you are engaged in incarnational ministry. You have to step into those big differences and blend in as much as you can with as many as you're able and teach your students, as different as they are, to do the same. You get to help them learn from each other. You get to help them learn how to listen and disagree, but still love one another and serve together. That is some of the ministry component, but it's a campus ministry, which means there will be those watching from the outside hoping for your failure. There will be those who don't like you or RUF because of our theology, because of the way you operate. There are also many in the campus experience who stand adamantly opposed to Christianity for various reasons. What we see from Paul in this passage is a willingness to go as far as he's biblically able to appease the consciences of others that the gospel will allow him to. That he'd, they'd heard he was fully opposed to their law. So he sought to prove that that was not the case. And he went to great lengths and great cost to himself to meet their expectations of purity. Listen to what Paul says to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 23. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though, my, um, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. That's what Paul is doing. He's not bound to do this, but he opts into their system, which is not mandatory, but it's not sinful. He can participate in it and prove to them that Jesus is superior to the law. Following the example of Paul and the even greater example of Jesus, we're coming to recognize that we must become like those we long to see rescued. Blending in, whether accommodating, oh, I'm sorry, blending in without either accommodating your gospel or adopting their incorrect views is incarnational ministry. And it's your calling as a minister, and it's our callings. As Christians, 
Well, that's the difficult part is retaining the message and mission of Jesus while being flexible with everything else, everything else. And it can get so confusing. In fact, we should expect confusion. Part of what helps us understand the social tension in the passage is a history lesson. Palestine was ruled by Rome, and Rome regularly enforced its leadership over the lands where the empire spread. That exercise of authority often led to the tension that we see here, tension between, uh, in the case of Jerusalem typically, tension between uh, the Gentile rulers and the Jewish um, subjugated class. And every once in a while, that tension would boil over regularly, and there would be riots and fights between Jews and Gentiles. In fact, just ten, less than 10 years, less than a decade after Acts 21, there's a full-on war that would culminate in the destruction of the temple itself. 20,000 Jews at Caesarea were massacred in a matter of an hour and a half. That two different cultures can get enraged with one another comes as no surprise. But what happens when you have not just Jews and Gentiles, but you have Gentiles adopting a Jewish Messiah along with Jews adopting a Greco-Roman view of philosophy and government. Now you don't just have poles, you have a spectrum. In this case, we have Jews attacking a Jew for allegedly breaking a law meant to marginalize Gentiles. And so see this confusion in verses 28 and 29. Men of Israel, help. This is the man who's teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law and this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place, for they had previously seen Trophimus, this Ephesian, a Gentile, with him in the city, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Now, there were poles engraved in Greek and Latin and in Aramaic along this sort of, there were bollards separating this area. And what it said on there was, basically, if you cross this line and you're not a Jew, you are responsible for your death. Um, archaeologists, archaeologists have uncovered at least two or three of these. So we know that there was a warning. If you cross this line, your blood is on your own head. And that's a different world than where we live today, but it's actually not all that different. The outrage culture of modern America was alive and well in ancient Jerusalem. Look at that person. They don't agree with me. I've heard this and this about him. Let's go after him. Let's go get him. Let's protest him. And that happens on right and left. There's no political or biblical ideology that has that uh, locked in. That, that evil of hating one another is shared across the spectrum. Into that den of screaming and choosing sides, Caleb, you have to go. Or just wait, because it will come to you even if you stay still. The opening sentence of verse 34 is our current culture's life verse. Some in the crowd were shouting one thing, 
some another. That feels like where we live right now. We don't know how to discourse. We don't know how to listen and engage carefully. We just shout, and whoever's loudest seems to win. And that's where we've asked you to go and bring the peace of Christ. And we are overjoyed with your willingness. We are overjoyed with your joy to do that and do it well. A large part of what you'll have to do in that world is what Paul will do next week. You'll attempt to detangle the rat's nest of bad theology. You'll do it for students and help clarify for them a healthy and robust system of belief. But beliefs are easy. You also have to wade into the raging emotions of your students and the campus at large. And there you'll have to show them how to love right things and even how to learn to desire what's good. So beliefs are easy, but feelings are terrifying and confusing. The rage of false fears nearly led to Paul's death by beating, but he was saved by the Romans. That's right, the people who will eventually take his life saved it here from his kinsmen. Expect confusion. None of us knows what to expect from your ministry None of us knows even what to expect from our own ministries. About all we can do is strive to stay humble and faithful as we seek to live and love like Jesus, which is the highest calling any of us has been given. Stay humble and faithful as you seek to live and love like Jesus. That's probably as good a charge as any. Now I'll leave you with this, Caleb. Notice what the mob screams as the soldiers start to pick Paul up and tote him up the steps. They scream to his Roman captors what their dads screamed at Pontius Pilate. According to Luke's gospel, in Luke 23, 18, they said basically the same thing. Away with him, away with this man. Dear brother, despite your gospel commitment, despite your gentle spirit, despite your careful demeanor and your love for others, you will still suffer many attacks in ministry and oftentimes from people who should be your friend, from the very ones you're serving. And so in the gospel of Christ, I charge you with this, strive for peace, but expect confusion because the spirit of Christ and his gospel does great work in chaos. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for faithful servants like Paul and like Caleb who go to confusing places and carefully seek to make Jesus known, to make him um, clear, uh, to make him believable. We pray that you would do that in our own confused hearts that you would use your, your church, your people, and her voice to do that in this confusing, loud world. Make us a people of peace. Bless our efforts, bless Caleb's efforts to make your will and your ways known. And bless us as you form and make us into the image of our Savior. May we become more and more like him of whom it was said, away with him. And he went willingly. As we go willingly, Father, would you, uh, as we fall to the dirt and die and uh, into the soil of faith, would you pour 
your spirit and cause us to grow and bear fruit in keeping with righteousness. Do this, our Father, and receive the thanks and praise of a grateful people. Amen. Caleb.